Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Keep 100 Radio is brought to you in collaboration with SkinGrip, the only patch company that I trust with my diabetes devices. I started using SkinGrip about two years ago, and before I found them, my Dexcom would last maybe four or five days before falling off, making it really hard to lift weights, hike with my dogs, or just wanting to do the everyday things that I love. But now I can confidently travel, work out, and navigate life with diabetes without having to worry about dealing with insurance more than I have to, begging for replacements, and resorting to finger pricks. Plus, I'm in love with their mission to help us live fearlessly with diabetes. You can check out SkinGrip at SkinGrip.com and save 10% on your order by using the code LISSIE, L-I-S-S-I-E, at checkout. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Keep 100 Radio. I'm super excited for this episode because I get to talk to Mandy Franklin, who is the petite MP on Instagram. So whenever I say your name, I always say the petite MP. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Um, Mandy is a board-certified pediatric nurse practitioner. She received a Bachelor of Science degree in nursing from Townsend University in Maryland before getting a Master of Science degree for advanced practice nursing from the University of Maryland School of Nursing in Baltimore, Maryland. She started her nursing career in 2010 and has been a certified pediatric nurse practitioner since 2014. Mandy was destined to help and serve others since her diagnosis of type 1 diabetes in 1990. She's an advocate for those she cares for and strives to promote wellness and health confidence for her patients and families. Mandy, do you mind introducing yourself? And yeah, we're so excited to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me and thanks for my intro. Um, yeah, so I've been type one since the age of three. Um, my uh, family, my mom and dad were away on um, a vacation and back in 1990, there weren't cell phones. So it wasn't easy to get in contact with them. And my, my aunt was watching me and she noticed that I was so thirsty. I was climbing on top of the bathroom sink and I was funneling water in my mouth and I just couldn't quench my thirst. And my, my aunt knew something's wrong here. So she got in contact with my parents. I honestly don't even know how she got in contact with them because there were no cell phones. Um, and they rushed me to a local hospital and I was diagnosed with type, type one at that age. Um, so that, that definitely um, had an influence on why I went into the healthcare field. Um, and, you know, I think my diagnosis absolutely uh, had a big impact on, on my career choice. Definitely. It's crazy to think, because you had mentioned that you were diagnosed in 1990, that's before I was born. <laughs> I was I was born in 1990. Okay, now you're making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> it's just crazy to think that, you know, that's a long time to be diagnosed with type one. So can you kind of walk us through how that was kind of growing up with this diagnosis? Three is really young. So just what that was like and how it's, I mean, it's impacted you a lot today with your career, but just in any other way as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, in 1990, there was no you know, insulin pump that I was using, there was no CGM that I had available to me. So um, you really, you learned a lot about yourself and you learned a lot about your body and your cues of what does low feel like, what does high feel like. Um, and um, 
you know, for me, I was so young that that's all I ever knew. So for me, I almost felt like it was a blessing being diagnosed at that age versus 12 when, you know, you may already have your eating habits in place and you may rebel against the diagnosis. This was kind of all I knew. Um, and, you know, I, for my parents, I, I, I never really had a conversation with them about, you know, how they dealt with it. I, I, I can only imagine what it would be like for a parent of such a young child, um, you know, and every day is the worry of if they, if she goes to sleep, is she going to become hypoglycemic in the middle of the night? Or, you know, I'm scared to let her sleep at a friend's house or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, my parents never made, never stopped me from doing anything. You know, I, I did dance class. I, you know, went to a camp. I, you know, slept over a friend's house. I may have had to do a couple more finger sticks or whatever in the middle of the night, but they, they did never stop me from doing anything. They wanted me to be like any other kid. That's amazing. I, this comes up a lot with, uh, just like my clients and I, cause I was diagnosed when I was 19. So yeah. definitely more of having those predisposed habits, that relationship with food already. So, I mean, in just kind of working with, you know, who you work with and being so, uh, in being so inside of the diabetes community, do you think it was kind of like almost better that you were diagnosed so young or if you had a, if we get a choice, we had gotten a choice. What would you say? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and I think about that all the time, actually. Um, and and for me, yes. I mean, it's again, it's like all I, it's all I ever knew. It's all I know. Um, you know. And then on the other half, other part of me is like, but I maybe I wanted to experience college without diabetes. You know what I mean? So it it can go either way. Um, but it, it's all I know. It's second nature to me. Um, you know, I was practically born with it. You know, some of my earliest memories are around that age. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it can go both ways. It's, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's a lifestyle, you know, it's, you just, it's a part of you. Right. It's almost like another language. It's just another way of thinking, another way of yeah. you know, doing different things. So, yeah, I don't think there's any right time to be diagnosed but right each one has its perks I guess um right exactly right yeah so how did that you know as you were growing up like doing these different things like you mentioned dance class and kind of seeing the progression of technology too what was that experience like of kind of going through these different motions and having your parents involved just can you speak more to that yeah so um I hate change um (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that so when I um, was first diagnosed, we I was drawing up my insulin. Um, I had my NPH and my R, and um, I was on that forever because I hated change. I was scared of how is this going to make me feel? You know, what's going to change here? So um, I eventually switched to um, insulin pens, and then from there I graduated to an insulin pump. But I have only been on an insulin pump now for about five, maybe five, six years. It's not, it has not been that long. Um, and to me, and this is what I tell a lot of my patients is um, whether you're on an insulin pump 
or an insulin pen or vial and syringe, they're all the same thing. You're getting your insulin um, and all three avenues. Um, So it doesn't change necessarily your control. It's what you're comfortable with and what works for you. And for the longest time, pens and long-acting insulin worked for me. So I felt like, why should I change it? Um, so then finally I transitioned to the pump. I, I wear an Omnipod, um, and I love it. Um, you know, do I sometimes go on pump breaks? Sure. Um, but I do love, um, how easy it is for me. And, um, I probably would never go back full term to or full time to, um, pens or, or vial. What was that turning point of saying maybe change is good for a pump? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, it was, so it was after college and when I started my career as a nurse, um, just being on the floor um, and sometimes you're in those situations where you may need to change your basal rate or, you know, it's a very fast, I was in a very fast paced unit when I was uh, working at the hospital. So um, you might have to change your rates you know, from day to day. So that just was so much easier than doing um, my long acting. Definitely. It's, it, there's definitely a convenience piece to it, but I definitely agree that it doesn't matter what method of, like there's certain parts, of course, to a pump. Yeah. Certain parts depends too. So yeah. it just matters what works for your life in the situation that you're in. So yeah, I agree. I know when I was, again, I was 19 when I was diagnosed I had done pens for only six months and then I had gone on the pump because I just hated injecting so much that I would stop yeah. eating and I recognize yeah. Yeah. that's not healthy. So yeah, I think they're, you know, everybody has their own preferences and it's awesome that you're able to transition and, and now you, now you like the Omnipod. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So no, and, and I agree. I think that, um, there's, like you said, there's perks to both. And I think, um, something that I grew up with was, um, there was a time when I was embarrassed to inject myself in public. So, um, I could see how for some people having a pump is just a little more discreet. Um, but, um, yeah, I think we probably all went through that at some point in our diagnosis. Um, just kind of having that, you know, oh, this is different type of thing. Now, now I'm like, I don't give a shit and I'll do this in front of anybody. (laughs) Right. Since you work in a clinical setting, do your patients ever ask, like, do they ever see your Omnipod and ask questions about it? Yeah. So I, um, I am a general uh, pediatric nurse practitioner. So I see kids zero to 21 and, um, so not all necessarily diabetic. Um, so yeah, I wear my pump on my arm a lot. So a lot of times people will ask, you know, what is that? Um, you know, I get questions from parents as well, and I love educating people on what it is, um, because I will not be the last person that they come in contact with that has an insulin pump, um, or an, uh, or a CGM or, or some sort of medical device. Absolutely. It's probably really cool if, you know, kids happen to have diabetes and they're around you and see it's kind of empowering. I was at a... Oh, yeah. Um, I thought like a little show the other day, <laughs> the woman in front of me, I saw her have the freestyle Libre app on her phone 
And I just like awkwardly pulled out. I like tapped her on the shoulder, pulled out my Dexcom and like showed her my number. I'm like, she can't hear me because there's like music going on. But yeah. I'm like, I just want her to know that we're both, we're both. Yeah. Yeah, I do that. Like I do that all the time. If I see someone at Target or just walking in public, I will literally like run down the aisle like, hey, me too. <laughs> I love it. It's like a it's, it really is. It's like an instant friendship, and that's that's it. So let's talk a little bit more about your your career. So you had mentioned that diabetes kind of influenced your career path. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, when I went to college, um, like most people, I think a lot of times you're like, "What? I have no idea what I want to study. I'm not ready for this." But I knew I wanted to do something in the medical field. So I started um, with my tip, your typical like science courses that you would um, to either do pre-med or nursing. And then I decided I wanted to do nursing. And um, so I, I did all my nursing courses. I did an externship towards the end. Um, and that landed me my first job at a, as a pediatric um, nurse um, on a lar- in a large hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. And then while I was working, I went back to grad school, became a nurse practitioner uh, specifically for pediatrics. Um, and that's what I've been doing since 2014. That is so cool. Uh, when I was diagnosed, like I mentioned, like, well, I was in college, I was at Penn State. The first person that I come in contact with and will actually help diagnose me was a nurse practitioner. So I just always like, Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so cool to have that kind of for, to me, it feels like the first line of defense almost. I guess there are the doctors and they're supportive, but nurse practitioners always raise a bar. Thank you. I think I'm a little biased, but. Uh... <laughs> so what, like, had, did you ever consider going into the diabetes field or was it strictly just like, I want to work in healthcare and just help other people? Yeah, I, um, when I went and did my clinicals, uh, to become a nurse practitioner, I did many hours at a local pediatric diabetes clinic. Um, and yes, I definitely still um, would love to work with specifically the diabetes population. Um, I just, I when I started out as a nurse practitioner, I wanted to not lose all of my, you know, broad skills to, you know, for everybody. Um, and I love what I do. Um, and I, I think it would probably be difficult to completely, um, shy away from that, but I do whenever I, I have a diabetic patient, I get so giddy and excited because it, I do, I love caring for the diabetes, diabetic population. It's just so unique. It's, it's such a different diagnosis than anything. And I come from, I have Crohn's and diabetes. So like, yeah. I can just. I don't know. Diabetes, like it, it sucks in a certain way, but it's really cool getting to know other people who also understand what that experience is like. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that even in what, what I've noticed is oh, if a lot of general providers, physicians, nurse practitioners, PAs, if they're not specifically in endocrinology or diabetes specifically, they do not know a lot about diabetes. So when I do have diabetic patients that come to me for their general care, the parents feel so comfortable with me because they know that, you know, certain medications will, you know, if I 
prescribed prednisone for this child, their blood sugar is going to go through the roof. Um, and a lot of providers don't know those kind of like little ins and outs um, of caring for the diabetic child. No, but I totally agree though. I'm at the point where I actually, like, it sounds so bad, but I kind of stopped going to a general uh, physician. Not completely. Like I still go to like yeah. urgent cares and stuff when I need to, but because I'm so like, I go to my endo every three months, I see my gastro and my gastro every few months. And it's like, yeah. I'm already seeing those specialized caretakers that like, yeah, they get it. They get it. They know, know. what I'm through. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and a lot of times when you are seen by these specialists, they're ordering your blood work for you and your labs. And uh, it's happened to me where I've gone to my general provider and I, I do make sure I have an annual physical. I think it's essential, even though I am in healthcare. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I know what to look for, but I still go. And there's the last time I went, I was there for three minutes and she's like, so what, do you need anything from me? I'm like, no, just, not really. Just the physical, I guess. <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. I'm a thriving diabetic. Thank you. <laughs> I love when like I hear the endo say that they're like, you're doing like you're an A plus student. I'm like, I don't really know what that means when it comes to diabetes because right. what does that really mean? But right, right, right. And there's no other, I feel like there's no other like, diagnosis where you, like that's like going to your GI and they, they're being like you're an A plus Crohn's patient. Right. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not sure how to take that. <laughs> but to that point, like with with things like Crohn's or really any other diagnosis that I'm aware of, there are certain kind of like spectrums. I feel like it's like like I'm in remission, but then there are people that have to have you know surgery and everything. So there are kind yeah. of different spectrums where not everybody can relate as to where like diabetes, we're all kind of seeing those everyday fluctuations. You know, it's something that you have to control every single minute. So I do find that really unique in that aspect of like, we Absolutely. all, we all get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And for any of the listeners that, um, and a lot of things can be glorified online. If there's any of the listeners that have seen any of these people post about how they're a perfect diabetic and they never have anything below, um, you know, if, you know, no fluctuations in their blood sugars. It's a lie. Everybody does. That's diabetic. Is that is what our disease is. So, mm-hmm. um, be careful what you read and see online. <laughs> yes. Can we? Okay, I'm gonna go a little off script a little bit from our questions, but can we talk about that for a little bit? Just because sure. you have been diagnosed for a long time, and you've seen probably the progression of social media and technology use and kind of this glorification of diabetes online, you know, how has that impacted how you viewed the diagnosis? How have you brought a little bit like of that dose of reality to the diabetes community? Um, Yeah, I just kind of want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so it's funny, I was never very big into diabetes support groups or things like that. And it's the opposite of the advice that I give people. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple years ago when I got on my pump and I got a CGM, I started to slowly get onto like some of the Dexcom Facebook pages or, um, the Omnipod Facebook pages. And in the beginning, I, I I'll tell you, I had to stop because it was giving me anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just some of the stories and things like that. So for a while I shut it down and I stopped. And then over, um, the pandemic and quarantine, I started to get a little bit back into some social media. Um, and 
um, you know, it's scary. Some of the things that, that is put on the internet and not specifically diabetes related, but anybody can post whatever the hell they want on the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter what their credentials are. And, um, if anything, we're seeing that now more than ever with the pandemic, where everybody has their opinion about everything, about treatment, vaccines, anything. So um, I just, my biggest takeaway is know your source. You, you know, make sure you're getting your information from somebody credible. Um, And if it's too good to be true, it probably is. So if, you know, a cinnamon that's sold in the food store, if they tell you that it's secure, it's too good to be true. <laughs> so there's a lot of crap out there and you kind of have to weed through it. Um, and again, I think it's important for people to know that diabetes, the actual definition is hyperglycemia. So, you know, it, you're going to have those days where you just, you're high and there's not necessarily a reason why. Um, and you can't beat yourself up about it. You'll have a better day tomorrow. Yep. I love that so much because especially now, and, you know, just seeing so many things around the, the diabetes community, specifically online, like people are starting to notice that people who aren't qualified are talking about things that they shouldn't or giving information that they shouldn't. And it's, it's kind of a good thing that we're realizing that of saying like, yeah. you know, this isn't something to mess around with. And it's not something that I should be you know, maybe taking advice from somebody that doesn't have that behind them. Um, so definitely very, you know, I love that insight and obviously coming from someone like yourself that like, those are the kind of people I want to have on this podcast are people who are qualified or, you know, they know what they're talking about and they have the experience and they have the, um, you know, like they're trustworthy. So I appreciate you kind of bringing that to the world. Not, not everybody can recognize it off the bat when, you know, people have a lot of followers or they're always getting, you know, just scary. (laughs) It's scary because a lot of times what happens is, you know, whether you're a parent of a type one or you're a type one yourself, sometimes when you look online, you're in a very vulnerable place, right? So you're looking for that easy answer. And when someone's posting, like, I have all the answers for you and my blood sugars are always perfect come join me or whatever. And, and of course, to a parent or a type one, you're like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. This is the answer to all of my problems. Um, so it's, you know, it's, um, you know, I get it. We, we, we've all been in that place where you're like, I just want that magic answer. Um, and there's not always a magic answer, um, no. you know, so. Unfortunately, if there was, we'd all be cured. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Okay. Five more years. <laughs> Right, right. Not holding my breath, though. Right. So let, let's talk about your day to day a little bit. So you're in a pretty fast paced environment. You know, you obviously, I'm imagining every day doesn't look the same. So how does that go hand in hand with a diagnosis like diabetes, where we're kind of told, hey, like, keep your routine, think like structure, diabetes thrives off of consistency, all of those I don't love that advice, but, you know, given that advice, how does that play into your management and your, yeah, just daily routine with diabetes? Yeah. So now I'm no longer in a hospital. Um, I work at an office um, and my hours are the same each day. Um, Mm -hmm. So that definitely, you know, it's 
more predictable, I guess you could say. But of course, there's these days where, you know, my blood's 200 and I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to roll with it. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, um, I, I'm off one day during the week, which is nice. Um, so I get to run my errands and all that jazz. Um, but, um, yeah, so I try to stay somewhat consistent, but it doesn't always work that way. Life definitely throws you curveballs. Um, some days are busier than others. Um, and I do have a CGM. So when I'm in a room, I can quickly glance at my watch and just know that my blood sugar is even, um, and steady. Um, but I still also make sure I'm very in tune with my body. So I know what my lows feel like. I thank God do not suffer from hypoglycemia unawareness. So I do know when I am starting to feel low. So that is also very helpful um, in this type of work setting. Definitely. I feel like that comes in. That's a really good tool to have because like we can't always count on technology. Technology is right. amazing it's such a privilege to have but also it's kind of not the end-all be-all um so we have to have those cues that we can lean into which in this setting like obviously is really important for you too so let's talk about that a little bit more of like you're you know obviously a healthcare provider working with other patients so as you're managing your own like let's just say you have a low during a consult or something like that like how how do you manage both of working with other people's health while working with your own that's a great question so it hasn't happened too many times thank goodness um but there there was there was one time years ago we were in a code um and i'm like full gowned up um in a patient room and i could feel myself like shaky and i'm like am i shaky from the adrenaline from the code or is my blood low so I like screamed out of the room to one of my friends. I was like, get me some juice. So I'm like sipping a juice box, like at the, you know, at the um, doorway. And as I like run back in to like help with the code. Um, but, you know, and thankfully it doesn't happen too often. Um, there's been situations where I'm like dropping. So before I go in and see the patient, I will lower my basal rate for 30 minutes. And then, of course, treat with, um, you know, juice or something. Um, and I won't go see the patient until I, I feel less shaky. <laughs> That's just no, because obviously there's probably a bit of uh, ethics or moral kind of yeah. aspect there of like, if you're not in the clear headedness to see a patient, then it's great that you set the boundary of, I'm not going to go see them until I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And thankfully, I, I do still feel my lows because um, I know there are quite a few people that do suffer um, from hypoglycemia unawareness. And um, I cannot imagine, you know, I would be I already checked my blood sugar a decent amount of times, um, even with a CGM, because just like you said, you can't 100% rely on technology. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So if somebody was going to like, let's just say like a high school or college student was listening to this episode right now and they, they say like, I want to work in the healthcare setting or I want to kind of be um, that person, but I'm a little bit worried about managing it with my diabetes or, you know, it, that can be pretty nerve wracking. I can imagine like, what would be your biggest piece of advice or what was your, your learning, what was your biggest learning curve that you can speak on? Yeah. I mean, honestly, 
I know this sounds cliche and cheesy, but you can do whatever you want to do. Um, it, you know, it, 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 I never thought twice about it. I just went with it. So I kind of learned how to adapt. I didn't let diabetes control what I wanted to do in life. I, 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 I chose what I wanted to do. And then I made my diabetes work around that. Um, and that's what I would suggest for anybody that wants to go into the healthcare field. You do what you want to do. Your diabetes will, you will be able to manage your diabetes if you put the work in. Yeah, that's so important because there's so many things that we're told we quote unquote can't do, like can't yeah. eat herbs, can't do certain exercise or just, you know, and it, we really should be able to switch that dialogue of things that we can do or how we can make it work. And we should get the support that allows us to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that I'm, I'm hoping that as time goes on, even more um, endocrinologists and diabetes specialists um, start using that script as well um, versus the you can't or you shouldn't. Um, it's more how can we make diabetes work for you? Definitely. And I'm hoping if there is a benefit of having social media, that's something that people are able to take away on the positive side. Yeah, absolutely. So going off of the conversation of giving advice, so obviously you are very well versed in your own management and you work a lot in the patient setting. So if you were to go and kind of think of your best three tools and strategies for, you know, living with diabetes, managing blood sugars, what would you leave those to be? Um, a couple of things. So the first thing, I think the top thing is um, acceptance and forgiveness for ourselves. Um, so accepting, um, when your blood sugar is 200 and forgiving yourself, um, because like we talked about it, no day, no one has perfect diabetes from day to day. So, um, it's more about not beating yourself up about it, more so putting yourself in the mindset of like, what, what, is there anything that I could have done differently? Um, and sometimes there isn't. Sometimes it's your period. Sometimes it's, you know, stress. Who knows? So um, there, and so having that ability to be able to forgive yourself for that instead of beat yourself up about it because, um, you know, mental illness, depression can definitely go hand in hand with diabetes. So we want to make sure that we keep that in check. Definitely. How did you kind of learn to do that? So I imagine growing up with it, it's not always easy to be in that mentality. Um, you know, I think it's a forever learning curve and a process um, because there's definitely those times where I'm like, crap, like what, why? And then I'm like, wait a second, like stop for a second, Mandy, and like breathe for a minute um, and, you know, think through things. So I, I just think that, um, it just takes time, you know, I don't think there was necessarily like a pivotal moment when that happened. Um, I just think it's more of a, you know, you continue to grow as a person, um, no matter your age. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a muscle. You just have to keep exercising it. Absolutely. That's a great way of putting it. Amazing. What would tool number two be? Um, I'd say probably, um, being open to learning um, and kind of recognizing your patterns. So, you know, 
you are forever a student, right? So you will continue to learn new things about yourself. And, you know, when I first was diagnosed, um, there were definitely foods that we were told to avoid. Um, And, you know, you can never eat this again, or you can never eat that again. So for years, I didn't eat certain foods. Um, So I had to be able to be open to learning and looking at these patterns of when I eat, say, pizza, what does my blood sugar do? So I think that's a big thing for people to um, to utilize as a, as a great tool um, that they have in themselves um, with diabetes. Definitely. I love that mindset. I always say, like, there's no foods that I can't eat. Obviously, there's ones that are a little bit more difficult or take a little bit more thought, but I would rather eat pizza every single day until I figure it out than completely. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And sometimes it can take a good two weeks of trying the same food before you totally figure it out, but it is what it is. And then you master it. And then you're like, I'm going to eat that big bowl of pasta because I know how to do it. <laughs> right. And you actually get to look forward to it instead of being like, yeah. oh, well, that thing, you know, yep. Absolutely. I love that. And what would tool number three be? Um, I would say movement and meditation or stress reduction of some sort. So for me, movement is meditation and stress reduction. Um, I don't necessarily work out for the physical aspect, although I do love working out. But um, for me, it's, it's all about mindset. Um, and I think that that's huge. So during the pandemic, obviously, life is stressful as a healthcare provider um, and a type 1 diabetic. So sometimes getting on like my bike or doing a 30-minute exercise or a 30-minute walk outside even, um, for me, is just as, as important for my blood sugar, my numbers, and you know my heart as much as my brain. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, that's a huge thing for not, not just diabetics, everybody. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm glad that you didn't reference it as just a tool to bring your blood sugar down because yes, it it can be, but that's not what movement is about. And that can bring a really damaging mindset around movement when it should be something that we can lean on and that's empowering and that we enjoy. Absolutely. Because then it turns into, um, you have this negative connotation around movement because you're using it as just a way to lower your blood sugar or alter your readings. Um, and it takes the fun out of it, you know, you, you should want to look forward to exercising, not, oh, I have to go, you know, do 50 jumping jacks because my blood sugar is high. Right. I had somebody come to me one time and they had said like, does everybody with diabetes feel as tired? Because I feel like I'm constantly doing squats in the bathroom or going for a walk after I eat. And like, I'm just tired. I'm like, let's, let's reevaluate how we're using movement for a minute. Like, yeah. So that's really, really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's hard. And then, and I think someone that has that mindset, it's not easy to necessarily change that. And I think it, it takes practice and time, um, and the right tools to, to be able to change that mindset. Definitely. And that's something I think that you do really well on your Instagram account and just your online presence is you're a very much like a positive, uh, just a positive source of information and just a positive person with diabetes. Like you bring the reality to it. So what do you 
let's talk about that account a little bit. Like, what do you use? How do you show up? What do you use your account for? Um, and let's just, yeah, where can people find you? Yeah. So I started the blog, um, it's petitenp.com. I started it about maybe one and a half, maybe 18 months ago or a little bit longer than that. Um, and I really wanted credible information being put out there. Um, and for all pediatric topics, not necessarily just diabetes, um, I do reference and talk about diabetes a lot because it's a part of me. Um, so that's the biggest thing. I, I'm on Instagram. It's Mandy, um, the petite NP. And um, I recently just wrote a children's book about diabetes. Um, and the main character has type one. I, I felt like there were like no books when I was growing up about, you know, a main character that had type one. Um, and I think that that's so important for there to be that representation. Um, and I've recently been going into schools and doing readings locally. Um, and I am obsessed with the questions that I get from these children. Um, they're so, they're like, it's just, I love seeing their brains work. I, I did one the other week and the little boy asked um, if diabetes was contagious. And I thought that was like a really, it was a great question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love to be able to explain that, no, it's not. And um, I think that that was a great teaching moment for this kid because he could come into contact with someone with diabetes and not want to be friends with them because he thought they were contagious. So I, I, I love spreading that awareness. That's amazing. I I honestly don't know if I've ever seen any books really involving type one. There there's one child, there was one, one Disney book, I think, that my niece read. And yeah. she's like, Oh, you have a pump just like this character. I can't remember which character it was. And I'm like, Yeah, but it's really cool that the main character has diabetes. Yeah, yeah. I, I just felt like there really there weren't that many out there. Um the premise of the book is called is my best friend a robot and the one little girl um thinks her best friend's a robot because she hears them beeping um so it's it's fun it it was a fun process and I hope that I can educate um you know the public and kids on diabetes Mm -hmm. my that just reminds me of like I think it was my sophomore junior year in college when I started wearing my pump my best friend at the time used to call me Wally because he's like you're lovely (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) so where can people find that book is it on Amazon on your website where can people find it yeah it's on both it's on Amazon um there's a link on my website it's also on my Instagram um there's a link on there as well Amazing. I'll make sure to put that in the show notes too. So everybody can Thank you. find it. Of course. Is there anything else that you want to add in to, as a kind of a final note? Um, I just, I, I, I just want to make sure that everybody knows. And if you're a parent of a type one or you're a type one yourself, that you do not let type one be a roadblock for you. I think it's so essential that we live our lives to the fullest and there's ways that you can do that and manage your diabetes successfully. And remember that there are bad days, but there are just as many, if not more good days. Need that tattooed on me. (laughs) Or need a big billboard somewhere. (laughs) I love it. 
Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show and hanging out with us and all your wisdom. That was amazing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course.